The following program is rated TVMA. What you're about to watch contains explicit language, adult themes, violence, and may not be suitable for viewers under 18. Viewer discretion is strongly advised. You can activate parental controls from any device by going to account settings. gentlemen and welcome as Jim Crockett Promotions presents Starcade 85. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, we head into March now. The uh, The first week of March has wrapped up. What do you bring to us from the world of professional wrestling? Bill Goldberg won the Universal title. And he did it pretty much as expected because there was no other way to do it. No. The way that they did it, you can't have Kevin Owens going out there and having a 20-minute classic with Goldberg and then saying Goldberg then wins, then goes to fight a guy that he beat in a minute 20 or whatever at WrestleMania. Yeah. So you knew it was going to be pretty much a squash spear jackhammer 21 seconds later it's over i kind of wish that they had had jericho hit him with the belt the u.s belt or the universal belt instead of just the the music distraction i i hate the music distraction yeah uh in pro wrestling because it's just not believable and i mean we're talking fucking pro wrestling but yeah the idea that this guy is going to get thrown off so much by this sheer theme music hitting yeah. That he's distracted long enough to then lose the match. I loved his stalling, though, before the match of, you know, pacing around the ring, taking his time. He's going to step into the ring. Uh, no, no, not yet. Not ready. So I did enjoy that. Kevin Owens made the most of what he could. And like I said, I don't I don't feel that this Brock-Goldberg match needed the belt. But that's the direct, That's what they want. It's the biggest match. It's... It's the headliner, so why not give it the belt? So yeah, good match overall. <laughs> normal, oh, normal, two moves. yeah, normal Goldberg match. He's in a bad spot, and and really, it put the the champ in a bad spot in the fact of you know, you right? Know what I'm saying? Owens, Owens really couldn't because you got it. You got to make this guy look good, but you can't really do it. You can't. Do you it can't in, outshine Brock right. because Brock has the match. You can't. You can't. You can't put on. Like you said, a great match because then it, it kills, you know, Brock's momentum. It kills Mania's main event. Yeah, then you're like, well, Owen should get the rematch. Yeah, right. They run themselves into a corner. Right. And basically working the crowd and, and, you know, being hesitant about getting in the ring was the only thing Owens could do to try to get anything out of this. Yeah, to try to add to the match. Yeah, and I mean, everybody knew that his road to WrestleMania was heading to Chris Jericho, so since they had to have this belt on Goldberg, I mean, this was the only way it could be done. So. Yeah, AJ blows up on Shane O'Mac. What, what, <laughs> did you, what did you think of this little three-minute segment? 
our little two-minute segment or whatever. I did like that they had the road agents backstage. And I do love that Road Dog at the end of it says Jiminy Christmas as they try to break up Shane and uh, AJ Styles. I feel the premise for AJ's anger is kind of weak a little bit to be angry at Shane because he lost the match to Randy. Shane had nothing to do with him losing the match to Randy. Right. I mean, he's got his gripe is really with Randy. His gripe's with Randy. That's yeah. pretty much it because actually. At that, at the start of that episode of SmackDown, or actually AJ's gripe is really with Daniel Bryan, who can't wrestle. Yeah. So he can't have the the match with with him. But at the beginning of that match, Shane Shane said that AJ should be the guy for mm-hmm. the title match against Bray. So <laughs> I just find this is a giant leap in logic to think that that Shane is part of some conspiracy against AJ. I think this is the we're reaching about the end of AJ's heel run. I think he's going to be a babyface after Mania. And, and do you think this is going to work into a a Shane O'Mac AJ match at Mania? Oh yes. Definitely. It'll be so some... we, we will see Shane in action, then, you think? I mean, yeah, it's going to be some sort of gimmick match. I mean, it's going to be a hardcore match or something. Yeah, last man standing, something. Something where he can jump off something really tall. Which and is awesome. That works for me. That part works for me, but the, if they keep it to five to ten minutes of that, it's fine. But I can't do another Taker and Shane from last year where it took us 30 minutes to get to... To build the uh, climbing on top thing, of the cell, yeah. Which was an awesome moment. I'll give it that. Yeah. But the rest of the match, ooh. It was, yeah, I, Thank I goodness understand. Taker's coming back this year because that would have been a terrible match to have retired on. Yeah, yeah, Taker and Roman, that's, I don't... It has potential to be good, though. I mean, there were the last few years of Taker matches at Mania, like Bray worked with a broken foot at the one at San Francisco. So his opponent wasn't up to snuff there. He had to work with Shane last year. Shane's not, I mean, Shane's not a pro wrestler. Right. And at WrestleMania 30, he was concussed right off the bat. So his last three Mania matches... Have been pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah, so this has at least... And now he's had he's had his uh, hip surgery or whatever, his knee surgery. I think now he, he's got a chance to make something out of this. Now, he might lose to Roman Reigns. Uh, that, that would be... A travesty. I think a if travesty. they were smart, this would be the start of the Roman Reigns heel turn because the crowd will be solidly behind the Undertaker. They're already anyway. Yeah. So why not? If there if there's ever a time, it's just like all those times people thought Cena would turn. If there's ever a time to do it, the time the time is up. The time is now, as John yeah. Cena would say. So yeah. Finn Balor returns to a live event in Buffalo, New York. Yes, he's doing house shows again. Um, so. I don't think we'll see him at Mania. I don't think there's a spot for him there, but maybe the the Raw after Mania uh, could certainly see that. I don't see him jumping into a feud, though, directly into the main event picture if Brock Lesnar's the champion. But uh, yeah, they're not. I don't. I agree with you on that. I don't think they'll they'll want to take the chance on injuring him because they can't. They need him extremely bad not only that I, I just think a Brock Lesnar Finn Balor is just a mismatch I think Raw after Mania I think maybe he goes after Kevin Owens because Owens basically took the universal title that Finn Balor never lost so let's start with Owens and let's work our way let's work our way back up to the the main title picture with Finn Balor but I don't I don't see him at Mania there's just they pretty much got this Mania cart's pretty much set yeah, and there's just there's no spot for. Him. I mean, he would be a waste to bring to debut him in, or like bring re-debut him in like 
the Andre Battle Royal or something. Something that he's definitely like. So far, there's not a spot on the card for Braun Strowman, so he's going to be in that Andre Battle Royal and probably win it. So what's yeah. the point of throwing Finn Balor in there just to get eliminated? So right, Big Show is thinking about retiring. <laughs> well, this is no bull. This is the real deal. The only reason he was sticking around was for. Shaquille O'Neal in that match, and now Shaquille's backed out, so he is... He really is thinking about just hanging it up. It wouldn't be a great... He was not on TV a lot in the past year. Uh, he he did return. He looks... Like I said, he, he's in the best shape since yeah. WCW time, basically. He had a great match with uh, Braun Strowman. A way better match than I thought they would have on Raw a couple weeks ago. If he hangs it up, that's, that's fine. But... He doesn't have to because he can always, like like we talked about last week, he is the big man that you can always have a guy come in and beat in two minutes. He doesn't even have to do any work. Yeah. He doesn't have to take a bump. Yeah. Well, he takes one bump. He takes a bump and takes the three, and that's it. And continue to make make money doing that. So he could do that for as long as he wants to. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if he's not into it, then that's fine too. Well, they may turn around and put him in NXT uh, as like a uh, a trainer, trainer or something. Yeah. yeah. Because of the fact, I he has a lot that he can give to the younger generation. I think his character acting has always been underappreciated. Yes. Um, not his. He's in ring, not so much, but as far as his facial reactions, like that match we reviewed against Brock a couple weeks ago, uh, yeah, he he has a lot that he can, and he's entertaining when he when he's funny, Big Show or whatever. When you know right. his comedy segments have all poorly written WWE comedy, but he makes the most out of the it. The showster, the New Year's baby, yeah. yeah. There's a lot that uh, he can he can do, so. He can stick around if he wants to. If he's gone, it's it's not a big loss. Gail Kim has come out and said she's no longer under contract with TNA Impact. And she has had a quick couple of phone calls with WWE. I don't see a return to her. For, uh, return to the... When they brought her back the first time and they wasted her, I just think she'll just be done. She's married to a celebrity chef. I yeah. forget his name. She doesn't need this anymore. I mean, they brought Mickey back, so... And they need, they do need some female talent because, I mean, we've got all three raw women's wrestlers. Are all in the match. Are all in the match at Mania against each other in a triple And just threat, like, and all, the, and all the SmackDown divas, well, all the SmackDown women wrestlers are in, like, their battle royal. And, yeah. Like a gauntlet yeah. thing at Mania. Which is like eight of them. So they have like six or eight, and then Raw has three. Well, so. if, you, if you bring someone like Gail Kim in. Then you've got to seriously... Well, they're about to lose. I mean, if if the rumors are true and Nikki Bella retires after Mania, then then you've got a spot. You know, yeah. then there's spots, or or then it's it's time to start trimming. It's time to start trimming the fat in the, and this goes for the men wrestlers too. Right. And that and Titus O'Neil. Titus O'Neil, Darren Young, Kurt Hawkins. We can cut Ooh, him. Yeah. Cut him loose again. That's right. Uh, we can but... uh, Summer Ray, who's been missing. I mean, where some of these divas on the roster, or some of these women wrestlers on the roster. Eva Marie. Eva Marie hasn't been seen in. Paige is still on this roster. If they make some cuts, I mean, they make year like there's usually one day a year that they cut like eight to ten wrestlers. If they make those cuts, then yes, I'd say there might be a spot for Gail Kim. But until then, we let's try to work with what we have right now. Right, sitting behind my uh, my rumor mill on the fact of uh, Kelly Kelly being at Mania, making her return. Oh, what a waste of so. money that would be. 
that they're sitting on it pretty pretty stern about if the it, idea so. is to if the idea is to get these women over as great technical wrestlers and bring Kelly Kelly back sets them back I would rather spend the money on Gail Kim if, who can who can really really go because Gail Kim can is a well yeah fantastic I mean, wrestler. Yeah, so. she led the knockouts division for years in TNA. So, right. uh, yeah. So, but I'm not the one that make. I'm not the one that you know makes the budget for right. the company. Well, we announced it about two and a half months ago. We were the first ones to announce it, but now we can say Rick Rude is the final person to go into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yes, the ravishing one. Who will be inducted by Ricky Steamboat, who the matches we've seen of them together <laughs> have been less than stellar. So it's kind of odd that the matches we've watched of them together, I'm always hyped for. Yeah. Because I love these guys. You think it's going to be like tear let, the house down type match. They've let us down every time. But yes. for some, I don't know who else could really do it at this point. Uh, so he'll be, I don't know if he's also accepting for Rick Rude or because I, I, really I mean, don't I don't know. know who's left to go up there. I don't uh, you know, so I don't, it's sad. I don't either, unfortunately. It's long overdue and yeah. uh, well-deserved. One of the uh, greatest in the WWF to never have the uh, world title. I'd say, I'd, Next to Mr. Perfect, I'd say he's probably number two. You could throw Jake in there and you can throw uh, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. And Those P- four. Piper. Uh, see, with Piper, I just... Well, I mean, Hogan can't wrestle, so yeah, sure. I'd throw those five... Those together. five in there? Yeah, that's that's fair. So, unfortunately, though, this locks out any other deceased wrestler that, yes. that would be eligible because they only like to do one of those a year now. So, But congratulations to, you know, Rick Rude's family, which whoever's remaining of Rick Rude's family. I'm sorry. It's terrible that... Yeah, I've, we, did a, we did a show a couple years ago that his son was at, and I got to meet his son, and then unfortunately... Yeah, Scott Hudson brought his son into the ring to say hi to the crowd or whatever, and then two years later, he died in a car crash. Yeah, unfortunately, he, he passed away. I never got to know much about his son except for that one one meeting with him. I never... Yeah. Just we exchanged a few words about his dad, and, and that his, was it. He but. was probably so young. I mean, he died... He, his, Rick Rude's son died at like 19. So Rick Rude probably he probably had very few memories of his father because his right. father passed away in like 99. So uh, yeah, this is just uh, really sad stuff. I, I, I hate to be such a downer, but I would want this induction to be kind of early on so we don't end on such a sour note. They put Boss Man kind of in the middle last year and it really bummed me out. And yeah. I, I would rather have that towards the front yeah and unfortunately we have lost another great wrestler and i'm 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 kind of getting tired of doing these because it is very sad outlaw ron bass passed away this week yes another wrestling cowboy you know i realized when he passed away man there were a lot of wrestling cowboys and i think it's all because they were when they were kids the shows that were on tv was like the lone ranger like Gunsmoke. uh the Rifleman, yeah. Cowboys, playing Cowboys and Indians, or, well, politically correct, Cowboys and Native Americans, you know, was yeah. probably the game they played as a kid. But there are, there were just a ton of Cowboy wrestlers, and Outlaw Ron Bass was, was one of them, and it had a great run in the NWA, and had a wasted run, I would say, in the WWF, wasted as a mid-carder, and then a jobber towards the end of his career, but yeah. uh, the height of his career, of course, in JCP, NWA... Uh, retired in 91, came back in 2005 to, for a one-off at a, a show called Wrestle Reunion. 
uh, but had been pretty much uh, just living out in Tampa, Florida. He was hospitalized for a burst appendix, which, yes, that can kill you. And it ended up doing that. Yeah. on March 7th, he died uh, from complications from surgery after his appendix burst. At the age of just 68, we lost outlaw Ron Bass, who was also part of the concussion lawsuit against the company that's going on right now. So uh, he didn't get a big tribute on Raw or anything else. So yeah, another another instance of that happening. I was uh, I was in the process of watching his match actually on our pay per view that we are going to go over. This week, uh, when I heard the news that he had passed, and so yes, it's very. I almost blame you for this for yeah, some reason, right? Uh, yeah. This because I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't know a lot about Ron Bass. As far I w- I'm not a big Ron Bass career follower. Like I knew, I recognized the name because I actually recognized him from his very short stint in the WWF because right. he was like in, he was in rumbles, he was in tag matches, he was he was a jobber to the stars pretty much. Yeah. So I recognized the name Ron Bass, but yeah. So as as we're watching this pay per view. We do it a separate time. We don't watch it together, but right. uh, I'm like, hey, that's Ron. Oh, I was like, this is very coincidental that yeah, yeah, one of, I would say, the biggest stage that Ron Bass was featured on, because Starcade 85, this is uh, this is coming off the heels of WrestleMania 1, so right. this is their response to the first WrestleMania, so this is technically, even though Starcade predates WrestleMania, you know how we, on one of the earliest shows of the Retro Wrestling Podcast, I talked about how stupid it was to call your show the granddaddy of them all and, and what that you know what, what does that even mean yeah technically it's not even the granddaddy of them all because they were doing Starcade way before that yeah they were doing Starcade Starcade started in 83 <laughs> Mania started in 85 right and so, so Starcade yeah. is technically the granddaddy of the granddaddy of them all yes if we're getting into semantics here but yes yeah, so Starcade 85 featuring Ron Bass so one uh, of his biggest matches I would say in his entire career well the match that he's most associated with I mean this gimmick match and most cowboy wrestlers are these bull rope matches Texas bull rope match yeah involved a lot of cowbell I'd say a the cowbell, cowbell was I'm gonna probably insert the SNL sketch need more cowbell because uh, after this match I didn't need more cowbell no, I had you plenty had a lot of, of cowbell it. so let's get into this is my pick for this week i wanted to take a look back at a greater time in wrestling starcade 85 the third starcade thus far right let's talk about yes what's going on in the wrestling world at this time back in march of 85 was wrestlemania number one correct so this was of course basically paid for from black saturday when vince bought 605 Saturdays from Jim Hurd. Right. Georgia from Georgia Champions- Championship Wrestling. Georgia Championship Wrestling. Georgia Championship Wrestling sold out to Vince, the 605 time slot on TBS. The viewership dropped, and Ted Turner was furious that his show, his flagship show, besides Braves Baseball on TBS, was now getting its ass kicked. So he needed someone to buy it back from Vince, so he got Jim Crockett to buy it back from Vince. Then Vince turned around with the money that Jim Crockett used to purchase, to repurchase 605. He then spent the money for WrestleMania. So in some weird way, Jim Crockett paid for WrestleMania 1. That's correct. So Starcade, Jim Crockett, and the NWA basically bought and paid for WrestleMania 1. 
Yes. They paid for their own competition One to the start putting franchise. them out of business. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the WWF was not done with pay-per-views in 85 because in November, shortly before Starcade 85, they ran the Wrestling Classic. Now, I call these pay-per-views. This is all closed circuit. TV. Yes. This was before pay-per-view when you had to go to a theater. Kids, this is when you had to go to a movie theater and buy a ticket for them to link up to then early, early satellites in outer space. And, <laughs> or however they did it. I don't and, know. Run an actual cable from, you know, and, Greensboro. And, right. And uh, to, to be able to watch. And so uh, closed-circuit television predates what pay-per-view and now on-demand your Netflix and all that. Closed circuit television is what's what started it all. So the WWF had the Wrestling Classic in November, so they were already contemplating expanding their lineup of closed circuit special event lineups. Right. So, so of course, JCP and the NWA they had to make this one big. They had to go all out for this one. Starcade '85. It's November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five. I wasn't even born yet, and neither were you. The attendance was 30,000 combined because we're at two venues, Patrick. We're at the Greensboro Coliseum, Horseman Territory, as you could say, or JCP Territory, and the Omni, which would later be WCW Territory, basically. And a little side note, the success of doing it at two venues is what led to six months later, or a little less than six months, for WrestleMania II going live from three venues. Of course, one of them. So, yeah. So that there's just a little side note there. But after watching this one, I didn't think this one worked out. Particular the, the two venue thing, Shivani and Bob Cottle, despite being at the Omni, still called the matches from the Greensboro Coliseum. There was a disconnect. I the felt. only one you, the only person you had at the Greensboro Coliseum was uh, Johnny Weaver, right? Who, in fact, was an old wrestler who came oh, up. Yes, who came up with you the can, Weaver Lock, and um, well, you can tell he's an old wrestler by looking at all the uh, blading scars on this yes. man's face. Johnny was, Weaver had had been around the business quite a while, even before 1985. So, but uh, but yeah, he was technically the only one there, just in the locker room to do interviews. And that was it. That was it. And they had, well, they had a ring announcer there. I think their well, ring yeah. announcer there was actually better than the one at the Omni. I, I forget who it is. Sorry, I just. But uh, of course, the main feud heading into this is one of the greatest feuds of two wrestlers. I'd say right up there with Brett and Sean. But yeah. Brett and Sean is more backstage, real life heat because Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes were actually the best of friends. Yeah, and they partied together. And even though Dusty Rhodes' character was always son of the plumber, the common man. He was living it up right there with Flair oh, when yeah. they were outside of get away from kayfabe and go party. They were going, they were going hard. You know, they were flying. Right. They, he was jet flying, limo riding, doing all the same stuff Flair was doing. So this is, of course, the feud that is going to headline Starcade '85. Now, this is Flair's fourth reign as champion. This particular reign had lasted for over a year. Flair defeated Nikita Koloff in a steel cage match prior to this event, September 29th at the Omni. So Ivan comes down to help Nikita attack Flair. So Rhodes, being a babyface, for some reason, decides, I'm going to save Ric Flair. You never save Ric Flair. No. Dusty Rhodes, Sting, everybody, stop saving Ric Flair. 
Because it's going to bite you in the ass. It sure did. Dusty Rhodes came out, fights them off, but then the Minnesota Wrecking Crew came out. Ole and Arn Anderson, and along with Ric Flair, beat down Rhodes, and then Flair broke Rhodes' left ankle with a diving knee drop, and then locked him in the figure four. So there you have it. The formation, the early formation, the the, the origins of the four horsemen. Of the four horsemen. And together. this led to one of the greatest interviews in wrestling history in the uh, the hard times segment the hard times interview of uh, of Dusty Rhodes is that right yeah because when when they broke his leg this is when Dusty was coming back from his broken leg that he you know you put hard times on the on the country by putting me out you put hard times on Dusty Rhodes's family and so <laughs> so yeah so they said I, we should we should excerpt this this in to the show today yeah um First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the wrestling fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm gonna reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. 
don't let me down now because I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real Wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! Ladies and gentlemen, with me is the world heavyweight champion, the man that we're supposed to respect, but not for what he did to the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. He has been out celebrating, thinking that he put Dusty out of wrestling, but Dusty is going to be back November 3rd, Mr. Flair. Even contrary to what you might believe, I've been defending the most prestigious trophy in all the professional sports around the world, from Tokyo to Cleveland, Ohio, the Greensboro, North Carolina, the Chicago, Illinois. I've been defending what you people out there know to be the World Heavyweight Wrestling Championship because I am the world champion. Just one, and I'm the man. And David, if you're going to jump on Dusty Rhodes' bandwagon, that's fine with me. This doesn't upset me at all. You see, you seem to forget. Now, you're interviewing me. You seem to forget that I'm a very intelligent man. College educated! My father, one of the greatest physicians in the whole state of Minnesota. So I know that Dusty Rhodes, regardless of the rumor, and the rumor right now is that he's going to wrestle November 3rd in Atlanta, I know it's medically impossible for him to compete in the toughest sport in the world, professional wrestling with a broken foot. There's no way it's mended. Look at Keith Myers, the great All-American tailback of the Ohio State Buckeyes. He came back and they carried him off the field yesterday versus the Minnesota Gophers. So Dusty Rhodes and David Crockett and anybody else out there that doesn't think Ric Flair got the job done, think about Keith Myers. Because he was going to be the Heisman Trophy and now he's just another guy looking, hoping to come back in the future. Dusty Rhodes, if you make the mistake, let's be real honest with each other. If you make the mistake of thinking that you're Ric Flair or the man that Ric Flair is, November 3rd in Atlanta, Georgia, or any place you decide to try and get in that ring, I'm going to be right there personally. And I'm going to be laughing, I'm going to be gloating, and you're right, I'm going to be partying and driving the women wild. Because when I set my mind to do something, it gets done. And only in Gene Anderson and Ric Flair, woo, we know what it takes to be a man in a man's sport. So Dusty Rhodes <laughs> and David Crockett, and you tell your brother and every other promoter around the world today that if they want woo, the custom-made, kiss-dealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, jet-flying son of a gun, known to the wrestling world as the greatest wrestler alive with two good legs. <laughs> if you got the money, honey, baby, woo, I got the time. Hard Times interview, which is, I think, top three greatest interviews of all time in professional wrestling. The feud between them is also so good because their characters are, are just polar opposites. Right. You have the pretty playboy, the rich guy, he's got all the money, 
Then you've got the fat son of the plumber, the 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 work and the common the blue, man, the blue collar guy. Yeah. So this is a perfect heel versus face combination. It's almost as good as like Austin McMahon, Evil Th- Boss. That took you took the words right out of my mouth because that was this was Austin and McMahon before Austin and McMahon. Basically, the same premise of it all. So and also breaking a man's leg is a good way to start a you know breaking bones. Oh I, yeah. I mean they still use it. I mean. Remember when Brock broke Sean's arm, which led to a match with Triple H. So, I mean, they still use this today to to kickstart. Sometimes it really happens, like when uh, Seth Rollins accidentally breaks John Cena's nose. So, sometimes (laughs) it actually does does happen. You know, he looked like Shrek when that happened. Have you ever (laughs) put two and two together? If you painted John Cena green at that point in time, he looked just like... Disney Shrek. It was quite funny. John Cena's right. an odd-looking man. If you <laughs> really, really if you really just single out his facial structure and it, or look at his video game models, like his 2K17 model and yeah. all that, just zoom in on his face, and he's kind of an odd-looking guy. Yeah, he is. He not is. to say that he's bad-looking. I'm not saying that. Now uh, we watched this on the uh, network version. Did you Did you watch this on the network version? I know you have a VHS of I, it somewhere. I watched. But. I watched the VHS. Actually, I have an original copy put out on VHS because I wanted to be able to get the whole feel of it. On the network, this is rated TVMA, which was very shocking to me, but I would later find out that more blood was spilt on this pay-per-view than I'd say some ECW shows. Yes, this was a very bloody For some reason, every match, everybody felt the need that they needed to blade. And I mean, it, it didn't matter which match. I mean, I think Sam Houston, the very first match, I think there's blood in it. We'll get to it in just a minute. It's Starcade 85, The Gathering. I guess it's the gathering of the stars. It is. Bob Cottle and Tony Schiavone are in the spotlight. The camera is not white balanced, so they appear to be blue. Now, this is, I talked about the production value was going to be stellar, and we started off on a, on a good note because they <laughs> didn't white balance the camera, so we've got blue announcers. They're at the Omni in Atlanta. They toss to Johnny Weaver, who's at the Greensboro Coliseum, and then that's when I note. Man, Johnny Weaver's blading scars. Uh, he went a little overboard uh, with the uh, the blading scars. I, I don't know how long he had been in the business, but like I had said earlier, up to this point, he had been in the business for quite a while, and uh, and and known as a great submissions wrestler is Johnny Weaver. So, but so, yeah, he had he had he had some serious blading scars. So he's going to be our backstage and pretty much our only guy at the Greensboro Coliseum. We go back to Tony. Tony mentions how great it is that Dusty's back from his injury. They toss back to Johnny Weaver, and the camera is now, for some reason, off-center. It was, like, jerked to the left for some reason. Uh, Johnny Weaver says Magnum TA match... Uh, that they're having in Greensboro. It could be pretty good. And then we go back to Tony, who then tosses back to Greensboro. The camera stays on Johnny Weaver, who has nothing to say. So he's just staring at the camera. Well, and then Tony introduces Tom Miller, who is the ring announcer in Greensboro, who I thought did a great job. But he says, okay, now Tom Miller is in the ring in Greensboro. But the camera stays with Johnny Weaver for a few extra seconds, so we see him rip out his earpiece and just shake his head like, oh, okay, I'm not in this. So the production value, not off to a great start here for... The WrestleMania of uh, JCP. 50 years of JCP, by the way. This yes. is the 50th, uh, 50 years. Not their 50th anniversary, but 50 years of JCP. We go to Greensboro. It's time to hear the national anthem played over the speakers while the camera looks at the flag and old women in the crowd. Wonderful. Very patriotic. Towards the end of the anthem, the camera goes completely dark. And for a second, I thought they lost power to the building. 
<laughs> but the anthem was still playing, so it was. I guess it was some kind of dramatic effect. Sam Houston, the half-brother of Jake the Snake Roberts, and Crusher Krusev, who would later become who, Patrick? He would become Smash from Demolition. Who would later become... Blacktop Bully. Who would later... Who before that was also... Repo Man. Oh, he was Repo Man. That's right. Crusher Krusev, yes, who is not actually Russian. No. All. None of these Russians are Russian, mm-hmm. by the way. This is for the Mid-Atlantic title. The title is vacant. Yes. The ref, Patrick Young, you need to acquire this ref's attire because he was in all yellow. <laughs> Neon, piss color yellow. <laughs> I mean, like bell bottoms. Yes, this was... He had some yellow bell bottoms. I did like what he did at the start of the match. He goes over the rules with the guys, and he pats them down. He does the Patrick Young pat down. And he's not going to let these guys get away with uh, sneaking in some knucks or something like that. So Cottle and Shivani are going to call this match from the Omni. So, like I say, all night, the, the commentary is very disconnected. It almost feels like it, it it's done in post-production. I mean, it's done live, but they're in a totally different city and building. And I also wonder, what is the Omni crowd doing while these matches are going on, and vice versa? What they had they- set up a giant screen for, for each location to watch the other location's live match while it was taking place. So they probably had a room with, like, a, See, a theater in it? Over the entryway, you had, like, what... Now you consider a Titantron that showed I've, that showed the the. Um, I imagine in 1985, whatever the technology in 1985 would have been so terrible. Oh well, I mean, to, half of the crowd probably didn't even get to see the other locations' matches, but still, you got to uh, you got to witness something. Something. Crusher and Houston are wearing red, and the ref is wearing yellow. It's like ketchup and mustard in the ring. Houston uses his speed to dodge Crusher's offense. The guys are real hesitant to engage. Shivani mentions Ron Bass and Ric Flair have held this Mid-Atlantic title, so there you go. Another Ron Bass reference. Sam Houston takes him down with a head scissors and locks it in on the ground. Houston does some arm drags and locks in an arm bar. Crusher, Krusev. I want to call him Rusev, almost. (laughs) I'll just call him the Crusher. The Crusher shoots Houston into the ropes and launches Houston into the air who lands face first on the mat. Ouch. Covers for a two count. Crusher press slams Houston again onto his face. We get a bear hug taught, I'm sure, by the Russian bear Ivan (laughs) Koloff to the Crusher to Sam Houston. Sam hits his bulldog. Houston thinks he gets the three, but Crusher's foot was on the ropes. Patrick Young, a ref, caught a foot on the ropes. Good for him. Yes. But then Crusher hits the Russian sickle, which is just a spinning clothesline. He covers. Houston's foot gets on the ropes. This time, the ref, despite looking directly at it, does not see that Houston's foot is on the ropes. And right after the three, Crusher kindly just kind of slides his foot off that rope and and gets (laughs) gets up like, I didn't see nothing. So in 9.30, Crusher Krusev is your new Mid-Atlantic champion. And the ref, who I just complimented, I, I was like, oh, he got it. You know, he did it right. Yeah. He really fucked these guys. He really fucked Sam Houston over here. But what would you think of this match, Patrick? It was a good opener. Good opener. Anything Sam Houston's in, though, is going to be fantastic. So I think Sam Houston was very underrated, very underutilized. Uh, he was wrestling in the wrong time period for a man of his size. I agree. Uh, he would be in 205 Live today yeah. uh, if he was wrestling. Or he would have made a great cruiserweight in WCW's cruiserweight division had he wrestled in that era. Just wrestling these big men, he was just never going to get, he was never going to be a top guy. Right. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that he was very so fast. And this was before I think they figured out how important cardio is to wrestling because they thought i think the the old way of thinking was strength like oh you need to be big and strong 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 but you really need to be able to just go you just need to have a gas tank yeah and uh this was before they they really realized that i think and so sam houston for a clean cut baby face in this match i thought he did a did an excellent job it's a it's a shame that he he got screwed out of the belt but uh that's what happens when you're a baby face on Starcade 85. <laughs> Up next, uh, this was going to be your favorite match, yes, I'm sure. A sombrero on a pole match. As much shit as they give Rusev about the, or not Rusev, <laughs> as much shit as they give Russo about the pinata on the pole match, the Viagra on the pole match, well, guess what? In 85, we got a sombrero on a pole yes, match. Yes, we did. Which they called a Mexican death match. So Cut. I didn't realize this was a sombrero on a pole match until about three quarters of the way in to the match when I realized why are they what are they going for over there yeah and Tony mentions oh it's all about his heritage it's about his sombrero yeah so yes this is a sombrero on a pole match it's Rage and Bull Manny Fernandez who uh following his time in JCP would go to Puerto Rico for a little while before retiring and of course Abdul the Butcher needs no introduction the Hall of Famer the the innovator of violence so to speak uh the uh the hardcore before hardcore wrestling was uh standard right in, uh, in America He almost kicked a fan's ass walking to the ring too just FYI The match begins immediately Abdullah gets out the fork and hits Manny Fernandez with it so here we go and Manny's Manny's already bleeding yeah it's it's, it's Manny's bleeding th- yeah just 20 seconds in then so. he hits him with something that looked like a hammer I couldn't tell what it was fan cutaways to the old women who are just in shock from all this blood now if the goal if the goal of JCP was to be completely different than the WWF then mission accomplished because yeah. this was not cartoon this was this was uh some very violent real yeah. This was brawling. Yeah. I mean, this was a different, totally different style than what Vince was putting and, on. And a lot of people don't realize, but you knew Starcade. it's like they told, you know, when they told Greg Hammer Valentine and Roddy Popper two years before this at, at the very first Starcade, like, hey, don't don't go out there and screw around. We want this to be be really bloody. We want this to be gruesome we want this to we want people to talk about this and so that you knew watching an, an older version of starcade it didn't so much later on but you knew when starcade was rolling around it was going to be you know two guys or four guys getting in there and really tearing each other up and and as you can tell especially in this match they did very quickly raging bull at one point manages to monkey flip abdullah the butcher which i thought was really awesome that was impressive yeah the crowd noise really picked up for this match after he did that this was i mean this was before hogan slams andre and this looked i mean i know it's just a monkey flip but still to get abdullah the butcher over in any way 550 pounds of abdullah this is a huge man yeah raging bull decides you know what He's got his fork. I got my boot. So now he's going to hit Abdullah with it. So now Abdullah's going to bleed everywhere. So now we got two guys just totally gigging, just bleeding everywhere. Tony mentions that the Raging Bull is fighting for his sombrero. And like I said, I didn't know that that was at stake in this match. I didn't know it was on a pole either. I thought the winner would receive the sombrero. And I thought Abdullah the Butcher wearing a sombrero would be a pretty funny sight. But uh, that did not happen. 
No, it's a sombrero on a pole match. Abdullah decides, I think I'm going to go for that now. So he tries to get it off the uh, top, but he, he gets cut off by Raging Bull. The bull takes his belt off and whips Abdullah with his, his belt. Butcher now tries a running elbow drop to a downed Raging Bull but misses. Raging Bull clotheslines Butcher with his belt, uses his belt as his arm, and clotheslines uh, Abdullah the Butcher. We get the Raging Bull snap suplexing Abdullah the Butcher. This gets a huge reaction, again, taking this huge man over. To do any wrestling move is is just very impressive. Yeah. This is the most politically incorrect finishing move I've ever heard. Raging Bull hits the flying burrito, which is a clothesline off the second rope. Yes. To Abdullah the Butcher. This would not fly in 2016, 2017. It's a flying forearm. Yes. And and if you make a fist and you throw it like you're throwing a forearm, it looks like just a giant burrito. So. <laughs> okay. Very. You I, I, okay. You just got hit with a giant burrito. Oh, yeah. So, so. Raging Bull climbs to the top rope and misses a splash. Raging Bull manages to get Abdullah to almost fall out of the ring when he misses a splash in the corner. Uh Bull was set up in the corner, and, and, and Abdullah tried to splash, but he goes through the middle rope, but doesn't... He He's smart enough to not go falling to the floor, so he kind of gets stuck halfway in and out of the ring. This allows Raging Bull to run up the ring post, grab the sombrero before uh, Paul Jones, who's Abdullah the Butcher's manager, can interfere with his little stick, his yeah. Uh, cane. Yeah. And Raging Bull grabs his sombrero and runs away, winning the Mexican death match in 9.07. It's a good match. <laughs> For what it... Yeah, I mean, it was... A lot of the matches on this card didn't feature a lot of wrestling moves. The same thing could be said about WrestleMania. This was just a time in wrestling when wrestling moves. The match quality was not of the highest caliber. And so for a brawl, for a sombrero on a pole match, which I can say I've never seen, I'd have to say this is the best one I've ever seen because it's the only one I've seen. Uh, Very violent, very different. Like I say, if you want something completely different from cartoony WWF, then... Abdullah the Butcher and Raging Bull is probably about polar opposite as you can get. Yeah, because Raging Bull, by the time this match was over, he was bleeding bad. Yeah, he looked like Shawn Michaels from uh, Elimination Chamber. Yeah. Crusher Krusev is backstage at the Greensboro Coliseum. You know what bothers me about a guy playing a Russian character is he didn't even try a Russian accent. He just he has a southern he, accent. He was recruited as basically... Doing oh, he's he's defecting. He's defecting, just kind of like how Slaughter did. Is oh, okay. He's defecting, so that was why he didn't have to have the accent. First of all, I want to say I'm the happiest man in the world, and I have to help say this that some of my friends that helped me out the most was Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff. They made me what I am today, a Russian athlete, and I know my motherland Russia is proud of me too. And I just want to say that I'll be able to go anywhere in the world, any country against anybody. To defend this, and I want to show all you American people that Russians are superior athletes, and I will keep this belt. Well, Crusher, all the belts that you Russians have, and you have about six of them now, but two of them are still in jeopardy because later on in a fence match, Ivan and Kola, Nikita Kolov against the Rock and Roll Express. Just like I've said a lot of other times, the Rock and Roll Express has done a lot of things to us, just like these American referees. The prejudice American referees, and they're going out there for one thing, and that is Rock and Roll Express, that is to keep those belts and put you out of commission. And I think right here tonight in Greensboro, in front of all you people, Starcade 85, the gathering, 
They will do just that. And all you American fans are going to look at us and you're going to say, yes, they are superior. And right here, this is why. Good kayfabe explanation, but I still think he should have tried an accent. He would have sucked at it, but it would have been it would have been it would have been funny actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says he's the best, and he says the Russians now have six belts because, of course, uh, the Koloffs have some tag belts. Crusher, despite winning the match, says that the refs are biased against the Russians. Did he not watch his own match? No, they're not biased. They they're biased towards uh, the Russians, from what I can tell. Texas Bull Rope match is next with Ron Bass. And and Black Bart, who is also a cowboy wrestler, but Black Bart really should be more of a pirate gimmick. I mean, when you, I yeah. think of the name Black, I think pirate. Yeah. So this should have been. And he's managed by J.J. Dillon. That's right, James J. Dillon, prior to his four horsemen run with with an actual horseman, kind of. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so this is back at Greensboro, and well, um, also let's make a little stipulation on this. Stipulation is, is if Outlaw Ron Bass beats Black Bart in this Texas Bull Rope match, he gets five minutes of a Texas Bull Rope match with James J.J. So that's his incentive to win. He gets his hands on J.J. So... So there you go. Black Bart, his most famous accomplishment, I would say, in the wrestling business is training Necro Butcher, who, uh... Is probably the most famous backyard slash hardcore wrestler who never stepped foot in ECW or any of the major promotions. A yeah. CZW guy, but Necro Butcher. Kids, if you want a really extreme match, check out Necro Butcher versus Samoa Joe on YouTube sometime. CM Punk's on commentary. It's a it's at the ECW arena, and it we mentioned how uh, Raging Bull was bleeding pretty badly. I think uh, Necro Butcher Necro Butcher lost more blood. I, I just check it. Check out a Necro Butcher match sometime. And that, yeah. Black Bart is responsible for uh, Necro Butcher. So there you go. We start the match, and Ron Bass decides he is immediately going to fuck up Black Bart with his cowbell. <laughs> this cowbell, of course, in this match, they have a strap. They're strapped tied together. Yes. And in the middle is a cowbell. Correct. That's the midway point. Right. So whoever can get to that cowbell can then use it to smack the shit out of the other guy. Yes. And that's basically all the offense you need in this match. Yeah. And that's what Outlaw Ron Bass decides to do immediately. And so Black Bart, within seconds, is now also bleeding. Bad camera work, just FYI. Bad bad camera work on this. As soon as he gets him down and starts trying to dig it in his head, they zoom straight into Black Bart, and you see him cutting like crazy. You see him gigging like, like crazy bad. Now, see, I actually thought the cowbell could be capable of cutting someone's... It is. If they hit you the right way with it. Yeah, it is. And and he helped it along with the cowbell, <laughs> but Hey, this is Starcade. We're gonna tra- go all out. Tra- exactly. You had to get that get that extra little push going. So. And then he starts choking uh Black Bart with the bull rope. Can't choke anybody anymore either in uh, no. in wrestling. Bart gets basically zero offense in this match uh, <laughs> for the first few minutes. He finally, finally gets a few cowbell shots in, so now Ron Bass can start bleeding. Black Bart takes a funny bump when he swats at the air when he's knocked loopy from the cowbell. Ron Bass knocks him with the cowbell, and then... So Black Bart starts just punching at the air and then falls flat on his face. Bart and Bass go over the top rope, which of course they have to go together since they're tied... And then Bass continues with the cowbell shots on the outside before rolling them back into the ring. They clothesline each other, uh, and they both take a bump from this clothesline. 
Bart makes it to his feet first, but misses a cowbell shot. Bass hits a cowbell shot off the top rope and gets the three, which means, J.J. Dillon, watch out, boy. You're next. But... Ron Bass gets a win in 8.34. J.J., he's not fucking around. He's ready for this match. Yeah. This he, is not... For a, for a manager, I yeah. thought he's going to run away. But no, he's like, he's ready for the... Like, he expected his client to lose. As soon as that three count hit, J.J. <laughs> is putting the boots to the back of the head <laughs> of outlaw Ron Bass. He throws his shirt off. Yeah, I mean, he's ready to... he is not in great shape. And no. he is the palest man on the planet. But J.J. Dillon is like he's, psyched yeah. to be fighting Ron Bass in this match. He's ready to fuck up Ron Bass. So he gets in there. He now takes the uh, Texas bull rope. So now he's attached to Ron Bass. He chokes Bass with it. As after Dillon beats the shit out of him for a minute, Bass hulks up. <laughs> he hulks up, brother. And he stands up, and he turns around, and he looks J.J. Dillon in the face, and J.J. has a great reaction and begs for forgiveness. Please, Ron Bass, don't hit me with the cowbell. Please don't. But Ron Bass hits him with the cowbell. And so now J.J., (laughs) J.J. Dillon is now bleeding. So even the managers are blading on this car. Everybody blade. That was the, (laughs) I guess that was the order. Uh, So the ref then takes a bump. For no reason, because refs aren't really needed for this match. He doesn't need, there's no DQ. So the ref doesn't need to take a bump here. But the ref takes a bump, which allows Black Bart to get in the ring and deliver a pile driver to Ron Bass. And then he rolls JJ, who was unconscious, over Ron Bass. And JJ Dillon gets his win at Starcade in 329. JJ Dillon, a big winner at Starcade 85. Yeah. In what I thought was a very entertaining match for, I mean, three minutes. Yeah. That's the kind. Remember how we had to sit through like 20 minutes of Lawler and Michael Cole at WrestleMania 27? Yes. This is what it should have been like three yes. minutes. Someone gets beat really bad. It's over. Yeah. Move on. No no longer than five. Let it go. Kind of thing. Yeah, I thought this was excellent. Yeah, it really was. Uh the cowbell mat the the black Bart portion of the match I could have really honestly skipped. I mean Really? I thought the cowbell shots looked great though. Yeah. It was it was a great bull rope match. And at least it wasn't one of those bull rope matches where they have to go hit the corners. The corner Oh yeah, where you have to tag each corner. I hate yeah. those fucking matches. Yeah. This, this was, is the way to do Yeah. Rope I matches. I agree. So for a rope match, for two cowboys, this yeah. is a, a very good <laughs> cowboy match. I don't know. Like, like I said, there's just a million cowboys in pro wrestling. I mean, we could sit, we could have a whole episode just cowboy wrestlers, you know. I mean, even to this day, I mean, JBL sits there with a fucking cowboy hat. Like, I mean, yeah. there's not currently in the company. We're kind of dry on cowboy wrestlers at the moment. Yeah, the, the cowboy gimmick's kind of slowly going away. Jimmy but. Wang Yang was about the last cowboy oh, to ride. Jimmy Wang Yang was awesome. So now we go back to the Omni. It's time for Billy Graham, who Hulk Hogan owes his entire career and gimmick to, in my <laughs> opinion, as he stole everything from this man. Everything, yeah. Superstar Billy Graham is out next. He's going to arm wrestle the Barbarian. This is $10,000. $10,000. On the line, whoever wins the arm wrestling match. But then they have a match for pride after. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah. So, rest in the ring already, so. <laughs> Barbarian, Tony thinks, doesn't understand how arm wrestling works. 
because he's a foreigner, of course, and foreigners don't know how the world works. So he puts his left arm down, and Billy Graham agrees to arm wrestle him left-handed. Yeah. Okay, fine. Good enough. Here we go. It starts. I say, this is just an excuse for these guys to flex. Every arm wrestling match in pro wrestling or every pose down is just... Is for them to just flex their arms. Dana Brooks would have been happy with this match. <laughs> yes. Barbarian almost gets Graham's hand down, but Graham, oh, he fights back, and both men kick their chairs away. It gets real intense, but Graham ah, finally muscles Barbarian's arms down and wins. And as soon as he wins, Paul Jones, who was managing the Barbarian, canes Graham right in the face. Yes. So now this starts the match. For some reason, this means the match has started. I, there was never a bell. It's just no. now we're fighting. From this cane shot, Billy Graham is now bleeding. So poor Billy Graham, who thought he was just in it for, you know, an arm wrestling match and a quick match afterwards, had to blade for this for this cane shot. So now uh, he's getting from the cane shot, and they blame it on the cast because Barbarian's hand is broken. Barbarian wrestling with a broken hand. has well, an alleged broken hand. He has a cast on his hand. His right hand. Barbarian beats up on Graham before missing a top rope splash to a down Billy Graham. Billy Graham locks in the bear hug. Your favorite move. Oh, love the bear hug. Paul Jones then runs in, hits Graham with the cane again, and this time it causes a DQ. And Graham gets tossed out, and Graham and Barbarian battle through the crowd for a minute before the cops and the security break them up and the refs. And that's it. Graham wins by DQ in 302. So uh, a good payday for Billy Graham, other than having a blade, I'd say. Winner's purse and 10 grand, so there <laughs> yeah, you go. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. This probably could have been cut. I agree. Um, I, I love Billy Graham. Uh, this was not a good utilization of him. And I love your impression of Billy Graham. Uh, if you could do your superstar Billy Graham impression for us, that'd be I can, a, absolutely. Okay, what would Billy Graham say if he was going to cut a promo? Eight T-bone steaks to lift barbell plates. I am sweeter than a German chocolate cake. The man of the hour, the man of the power, too sweet to be sour. Every woman's pet and every man's regret. Where what you see is what you get, and what you don't see is better yet. I'm the only one, the number one superstar, Billy Graham. <laughs> that was better than the match. <laughs> See, <laughs> that was, thank, uh, you. thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's your. Yeah, I, I like your uh, little uh, Larry Zabisco. Oh, Larry Zabisco fade out there. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Up next, we get the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, going to take on Buddy Landell. Well, Terry Taylor's not the Rooster yet. This is pre WWF, but he's just lame, Terry Taylor. This is this is before the Taylor Made Man thing. Oh God. yes, that, that too. Was, that was bad. <laughs> he's going to take on Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Uh, this is for the national title, and this is going back to Greensboro. Buddy Landell, which we saw at Great American Bash, what was it, 90 or 89 that we watched, that he led the car, the one against, Nin- it was 90. 90, yeah. In five years, it looked like Buddy Landell aged about 50, because yeah. here in 1985, he looks... He looked good. He looked fine. Yeah. Looked, I mean, other than still being the Nature Boy character, which... You really have to re. I still to this day like. What was he thinking? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, how far is it, how far is this going to take you? Yeah. You know, with Ric Flair being right across the street. You know, yeah. like. Well, and then at this point in time, they're forming the stable with JJ, 
And so JJ at this point in time was managing Rick, was managing the uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Arn. Now he's managing Buddy Landell. Did he switch? He, no, he but was managing were, both. He was managing both. Both Nature Boys had the same manager. Had the same See, manager. Big problem. Yeah, and so that's kind of one of the things that I think also kind of sucked on. Oh, and when yeah, I mean the Horsemen, which is one of the reasons why you had you know you, what you had Buddy Landell versus Ric Flair number of times but yeah the first one which is why i was well who gets jj and so that's why you <laughs> the battle for jj you had the battle he's a trophy a lot of people fight for this guy yeah taylor starts the match by smacking landell in the face so hard he falls flat on his ass he takes a bump from getting smacked yeah. i mean he really laid it in landell grounds taylor with a headlock taylor reverses it into an arm bar lots of rest holds in this match landell lands some flare chops on taylor in the corner Taylor back body drops Landell and hits the knee to a grounded nature boy. Then Landell lands a stiff forearm to Taylor that looked like it could have legit knocked him out. Like yeah. his forearm. Yeah, it was, was ugly. Devastating. Then he snapmares him back into another headlock. So we're right back into another rest hold. JJ had to go in the back and get patched up. So he's finally, he comes back out to cheer on buddy landell with his head wrapped up that's right taylor lights landell up with some chops before landell clotheslines him out of the corner taylor snap suplexes landell for a two count then the ref takes a bump when buddy landell shoves terry taylor into the ref which should have been a dq i guess patrick i i would say so jj was gonna hit terry taylor with his shoe but landell ends up running into him on the apron so it backfires on jj what's funny is after this fails JJ just puts his shoe back on. He gave up on the shoe uh, spot after that. (laughs) So then Terry Taylor goes for his finishing move, a superplex, which the crowd was getting hot for. They wanted to see this superplex. Yeah. So he goes up to the top turnbuckle. He's got Buddy Landell up. But JJ Dillon trips up Terry Taylor, and Landell falls on top of him from the top rope. They all tumble down to the mat. Landell falls on top, gets the three, and he's now the new national champion in 10 minutes, 30 seconds, to a chorus of boos. The crowd hated this finish. (laughs) The crowd hated Buddy Landell. And we're very pissed off that this happened. The the timing of JJ was perfect. I mean, a split second before it would have looked like shit or after he would have missed his spot. The timing of JJ to be able to just get up there and hit, get a hand get a hand on terry taylor's ankle was perfect yeah it didn't look like he was like now it, now a manager or a valet would be like staged over like waiting you know yeah. but like jj like from the shoe spot was like still putting his shoe on like kind of walking around outside and then all of a sudden like i mean the camera didn't even do a good job of catching him doing yeah. it like so i thought it was a very good way to finish the match yeah um thought they made the wrong choice by having landell go over but really uh i would have had taylor uh well i guess you had your big baby face win with dusty later on but we would just well, and tully blanchard army not a oh and Magnum, Magnum Mag- TA. at greensboro so i guess you had your one yeah and that happens at Greensboro, so you oh, have okay. your, yeah. your one big baby face win uh, of the night. So yeah, you, yeah, actually, I'm wrong. This was you had to do this. Yeah, good enough. Whatever national title. Every by the way, we talk about today. There are too many titles. They had too many titles in JC. Okay, well let's let's clarify this for a second. I'm glad you brought this up because I won't, I knew this was going to come up, so I did a little research. Not only did you have your territorial titles, mm-hmm. 
but you had the United States title, United States tag titles. You had the national title, the national tag titles. The Mid-Atlantic title. Well, the Mid-Atlantic is a territory. Yeah. So we're not we're strictly under the NWA. When you're not not including Mid Atlantic, not including Florida, not including Georgia Championship Wrestling, we're strictly NWA. And then you had the NWA World title and the NWA World Tag titles. So you had three divisions of titles. Now the best way to look at this was at this time, and this is this changed very quickly. But at this time for this pay per view, you had the uh, the national title was looked at kind of as the TV champ. Well, yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, house show business is your main business, and so you need you have to run multiple house shows, so you need all these belts floating around. Right, and so and once you stopped, that's what I'm saying. Once you once you basically broke away from the NWA and you had WCW, then that's when it changed from national to TV. Right. So you still had your world title, your U.S. title, and your then TV title. So We go back to Atlanta. We alternate matches throughout the night. We go Greensboro, Omni, Greensboro, Omni all night. I, which I think is really good. I mean... Well, yeah, at least because, yeah, at least the crowd... You're not sitting there too dead, long. right. You're not sitting there dead too long. Because wasn't WrestleMania 2 like in segments, like big chunks right. at a time? Yeah. Yeah. So we go back to the Omni. It's time for the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Arn and Ole Anderson come out next. They'll be defending the NWA tag belts against Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes, who come out to a uh, dubbed theme on the network that sounded like a Prince song. <laughs> They're the U.S. tag champs, but their titles will not be on the line. Only the Andersons belts. The, the national tag team champions. Arn is going to start against Billy Jack, and Billy Jack Haynes looks red. Yeah, Billy Jack Haynes. That's what I would have called him here. He was, yeah. I mean, and even at that Great American Bash we watched in 1990, this dude was still like yeah. muscle mass. Yeah. Just nothing but muscle mass. Yeah, Billy Jack was was huge. Billy Jack press slams Arn Anderson, who tags Ole in. Wahoo then tags in and runs wild on Ole, giving him strikes and elbow drops. Arn tags back in. Arn slows Wahoo down with rest holds. Ole tags in and then does a rest hold on Wahoo's arm. They're going to focus in now. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew know how to pick a body part. This is how the Andersons wrestle. Yeah. Is they pick a body part and they pick it apart. And they decided that Wahoo's arm, because he's Native American, Patrick, so that means... He does chops. That's, yeah. that's what Native Americans do. So that's we got to disable his arm. Yeah. So that's what the Andersons focus on. They stomp his arm. They put it in holds. They do everything. They double teaming at its finest here because they they are careful to keep Wahoo in their corner at all times. Right. And when you when you hear now, you hear it said that the Andersons, especially Arn. No, knew how to to cut the ring off. That ex, that really is exactly it. Is you, if you take a ring and you turn it in like a diamond shape and you draw a line from one corner to another, they kept all the action in in their their corner basically. That's and, and logically and that, that's logically, what you should do. Exactly. I yeah. And and people, but younger kids, when you say hey, when you go out there, cut the ring off. You know, you tell them that they don't understand it, and so that's that is a great way to explain of what cutting the ring off is in, in great tag team wrestling. And yeah, they're double teaming. Just the way that they 
they constantly tag in and out. The one Anderson gets in, does something, tags in the other one. Yeah. Then when Billy Jack, you know, eventually he'll get fed up and he'll run in, but the ref stops him, mm-hmm. because, and rightly so, you know, because what they're doing is legal. It's all yeah. within the rules. Right. They're just doing it the right way. Wahoo finally hulks up, starts making some chops. Uh, his chops finally make an appearance on both Arn and Oli. Wahoo then sort of like rolls into Billy Jack's arm, which was outstretched for the tag. So Billy Jack now runs wild and takes out both Andersons. The ref loses control for a moment and can't get Oli out of the ring. Then, despite just clearing house, Billy Jack Haynes tags Wahoo back in. And this would spell demise for their attempt at the titles here as Arn covers Wahoo while Oli holds down his leg outside the ring where the ref can't see. They get the three and keep their tag belts to a chorus of boos. In 828, they get their belts and rightly just walk right out of the ring and through the crowd and they don't give a fuck. Yeah, I love I love the, the finish of this one as well. Just like the Buddy Landell and Terry Taylor. Oli reaches through Arn's legs, hooks an ankle to trip. Wahoo hops down and holds it holds it down under the ropes. It was O's. And the ref legit couldn't probably see him. Right. It was beautifully done. Great finish. Yeah. Billy Jack Haynes is just stupid for tagging Wahoo back in. I would agree with that. <laughs> Most uh, people would to this day. But of course... This is another example where the heels have to go over because the Omni's going to have their big baby face win at the end of the night, too. Yeah. So the way that this... you. The card is just set up in that way in both venues where right. you're going to have your big baby face win at the end of the night. So all the heels have to win to send everyone home happy. So this this had to be done. I thought the Andersons portion of this match was awesome. Uh, yeah, their com- oh, yeah. Their competition... I'm sorry, dude. Wahoo McDaniel didn't do much for me here. You know, really? Nah, I did. I didn't. I. Uh, this was not. Uh, not a big Wahoo fan. <laughs> this was. Uh, I mentioned a lot of. There really weren't a lot of Native American. There weren't enough Indians for all the cowboys that were wrestling. Uh, this was one of them. Uh, just not a big. Not a big fan of his work here. Really? Uh, I just thought he was. Uh, In general, or just this specific match? This specific match. I, I haven't thought. watched enough. Wahoo McDaniel stuff. I'm sure back in the day. Wahoo's a badass. Yeah. Wahoo. Um, but just uh, just I wasn't I wasn't feeling their portion. But the Andersons were awesome. Yeah. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew, phenomenal. No. Uh we go Johnny Weaver tells us we're gonna take a fifteen minute intermission. And then I thought to myself, I wonder what aired in between, because I'm sure there were commercials or promos that yeah. I wish that the network cut these out. So I wish, uh, I wouldn't have sat through 15 minutes of them. But, but you'd like to have been curious as to what was airing. Or if they just showed an empty ring or whatever, yeah. they, or like a halftime show or whatever yeah. they did, you know. This is the time in which they put up the steel cage. Right. And uh, and now in we're... In Greensboro. Right. And now we're getting to one of the main reasons I picked this, this, this pay-per-view to go over because I love, love this I Quit match. Johnny Weaver first has an interview with Buddy Landell and J.J. Dillon. They say they're happy they won, and they say that JCP is a pretty good place to work. Then Landell gets the mic, and boy, he is really southern sounding. He is a... (laughs) He's a very redneck man, and uh, that Georgia twang coming out, and he's and that's why he's not very nature boyish. Like I think the nature flamboyant, cocky. He's more of just a redneck. We're in the Greensboro press room right now, and with us are two men who've had two big victories tonight. One of the 
prestigious belts in the country has changed hands. The first ones to change hands on Starcade. It now belongs to Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, the number one man in this man's stable, James J. Dillon, who had quite an impressive victory tonight, tonight himself. John, this is the greatest night in my wrestling career, uh, an illustrious wrestling career spanning some 15 years. And I think wrestling history will show that the gathering at Starcade 85 will be the greatest single event ever in wrestling history. And let's face it, Jim Crockett Promotions is professional wrestling everywhere in the world. And this event tonight, not enough can be said about it. I came here tonight really expecting that Bart could take out uh, Bass, but I was prepared for the worst. And I took a physical beating at the hands of Bass that I hope I never have to take again. But I summed up a lot of intestinal fortitude that even I know didn't exist. Gave Bass the beating of his life before it was over. And now I'm the uncrowned champion of the bull rope match. And as if that wasn't enough to call it a successful night, Nature Boy Buddy Landell went out proved that all the experts were wrong that said he was not championship caliber material. They said I was wrong because I was so high on the man and now he is the new national heavyweight champion, a title he's going to hold for a long time to come, the last stepping stone to the world's heavyweight championship. Congratulations, Nature Boy. Thank you My much. congratulations to you, too, Nature Boy. Johnny Weaver, you know as well as I do and everybody else out there, J.J. Dillon turned my whole career around. Now, the nine months that I've been here, the Nature Boy's been playing possum. I'm going to tell you, you want to be a champion, you got to live like a champion. Now, I've watched Tully Blanchard, and I've watched Ric Flair. I've watched Arn and Ole Anderson, and I've modeled my life after them. I am a champion. I am the national heavyweight champion. Now, all these guys can come out here, and they can run off the mouth about this and that. But the bottom line is, baby, is this. When I go to bed and wake up every morning, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, Nature Boy Buddy Landell, you are the world's national heavyweight champion. And I'll take on anybody at any time. In the famous words of Ric Flair, I said it. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was kind of a, kind of a letdown here. Now, yes, it's time for what really should have been the main event in Greensboro, but was not. Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA for the U.S. heavyweight title from Greensboro Coliseum. I'm glad you said that. I don't know, was it supposed to be the main event and they just swapped it up? Because we ended up having a tag match, standard normal tag match in a cage. Right, yeah. Where you, they still had to tag in and out. So I don't know. <laughs> we got screwed up on the card here somehow. I just think it was bad booking, maybe. Uh, I think what they wanted to do was... Uh, I see what they... They want to split up this they, one they and, and Dusty. Y- yeah, they must have... Yeah, because... Match 11 was Rock and Roll Express. Right. Um, that's the only thing I could explain that... Okay. To, uh, I, I was just trying to figure out yeah, why. This should have been the main event. Oh, yeah. Or, in Greensboro. or semi-main. Well, yeah, not the real main event. I mean, yeah. nothing's going up. Ric Flair's top of the card, buddy. There's yeah. No, there's yeah. no time. But, uh, but... Yeah, so the champ... Well, he's out first. Well, he's out only because Magnum TA has no entrance on the network version. He's already in the ring. And he, if you ever wanted, like, if there was a definition of, like, what did people, what did white people in the South look like in the 1980s? Next to it should be a picture of Magnum T.A. He is standing oh. in the ring. He's got his curly mullet. He's a beautiful man. I'm not going <laughs> to deny it. He's got his curly mullet, his big mustache. Right. You know, his Magnum P.I. mustache, which yeah. is what his, his characters a play off of. Terry Allen, right, is yeah, his real Terry name. Terry Allen. Um, so he's already standing in the ring. Terry is excited we're doing this match, actually. I, I sent him a message on Facebook, and so he's really looking forward to this show. A little side note, though. 
uh, Terry Allen, Magnum TA, uh, I would make this statement in saying that he was on the on the way to being probably the biggest name in professional wrestling before he had his his accident that forced him into retirement. I think that there was definitely potential for him to be a top guy. I mean, he was already sort of a top guy. Yeah. But he soared to the top rather I, quickly, but he he had a lot more to go. I don't know that his mic work would ever be on the level of a Dusty or Ric Flair. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, two of the best right there. And, yeah. and they're and they're ahead and they're on the, in the same company. Yeah. But I mean, what could have happened is he could have gotten snatched up by Vince, gotten a character, gotten some coaching, yeah. gotten the Pat Patterson treatment and he had all the makings of a star. I mean, he definitely right. had the look that Vince would have loved. Yeah. I mean, uh so we'll but we'll never know, unfortunately. Right. right. Uh Tully is out with Baby Doll. Of course. This is a cage match, but it's a cage match the right way, Patrick, because it's an I quit cage match. Yeah. These cage matches have always been flawed in logic because it's supposed to keep the guys in. But the goal is to escape. Well, now it is in modern modern day cage matches. So it's kind of stupid. It's self-defeating. Right. This is the way to do it. It keeps people out and it makes you, makes a clear winner and a clear loser. Yes. Yeah, it's it's done very well. And I would say without a doubt... One of the greatest I Quit matches of all time. Well, it's way better than Mankind Rock I Quit when they just played the sound clip of Mankind saying I Quit over yeah. the loudspeaker. Yeah, a lot more more violent and gruesome than, than that match. Of course, well, everyone has to bleed, Patrick, on this card. There is no escape, there's no pin, and there's no submission. It's only I Quit, so there will be a microphone in the ring. And there's a ref in the ring, but he's just there to grab the mic and hand it to do the Do you rest. know who the ref is? A little side note I do here. not know. Really? You have you, I didn't all the way to this point you didn't know who the ref was? This is a very young Earl Hepner. I'll have to double check that. I don't believe. It is. It's a very young Earl Hepner. So anyway, fine this ref at least has his ref gear on. So yeah. he came dressed in Greensboro. They exchange strikes toe to toe. Magnum TA grates Tully's face on the cage, so now he's gonna start bleeding. Tully tosses Magnum TA into the cage and now he blades right over both eyes, which I thought was a very odd choice of blading placement yeah magnum ta hits a stun gun on tully on the ropes and tully is tossed into the cage so now it's his turn to blade some more this time he blades on his arm which i thought was actually if i had to blade i would just blade on my arm all the time i mean inside well this is why you see guys like mick foley this is why you see dusty Rhodes with the scars on their arms you're thinking well what is that's from from blading and, and and getting arm arm blood and so, yeah. They try some mat wrestling. Now, I don't really... This is the part of the match I didn't like. When they when they would go to the mat, they wanted to do mat wrestling. So they're like... But it really just looks like they're just laying on top of each other. And, I mean, they would, like, claw at each other's face and stuff, but they didn't, like, apply any holds or anything. So yeah. when they would go to the ground, I kind of made this less than a stellar match for me uh, when they would do shit like that. Tully grabs the mic and beats Magnum TA with it, and uh, he puts it in his face, and... Uh, Magnum TA says, uh, no, he, he would like to keep going. Yeah. Politely. That's how, exactly how he said it. Tully then, after beating him with the microphone, covers him. 
briefly forgetting that this is an I Quit match. Yes, yes. Out of habit, he went for a... Went for a pin. Yeah, went for a pin, but gave it up, so thankfully. He climbs to the top rope to drop an axe handle smash on T.A., but then Tully grabs the mic again, and surprisingly, not surprisingly, Terry Allen doesn't quit. At this point, I thought I could guess the finish of this match. I thought that Baby Doll was going to have to get Tully to quit. I thought that was the only finish yeah. that I could see coming. That Right. She would have to beg her man to quit right. because he was getting beat so badly, but that's not what happened. That would have been a great way to finish. Well, at the Actually. end of the match, yes. If I could rebook it, I would. T.A. puts the mic in Tully's face. He doesn't want to quit either. Baby Doll hides her eyes as they just pry each other's eyes out on the mat. T.A. does the punches on the corner, but Tully counters with an inverted atomic drop. Ouch. Right it, on it, Terry's uh, junk. Yeah, yeah, it was it was ugly. Tully asked, Tully asked Magnum T.A. to quit. He says, no! I'll probably put the clip. That's his best no is his final no. He's gone back to get that microphone again. Say it! Say it! No. No. Tully assaults the ref now. Out of frustration, even though the ref has nothing to do with this match. Out of thin air, Patrick. A wooden chair. It's like it came from heaven. Finds its way into the ring. Now, did Baby Doll toss this she in? She didn't toss that in. Okay, because I didn't see where this came from. She threw it in. She threw it the first time, and it didn't get all the way over, which is what broke it. So then she took it and threw it again. It got over. It's partially broken anyway, so this is why Tully goes ahead and, and breaks it the rest of the way. This is a very, very violent finish to this match. He ta- he's, very, <laughs> yeah, he's going to murder. He, he takes it, breaks it, makes a spike. Basically. Yes, like it almost is like two wooden spikes. Yes. And he is, is going to drive them into Magnum TA's head. Yes. And kill him. Yes. No <laughs> no joke. No BS. Like this is really the finish. But then Magnum TA holds, you know, stops him, restrains. He's fighting. Tully's, he's Tully's arms. He's fighting. He's fighting. He hulks up. He pushes back, rolls over, gets it, gets a hold of the spike. Gets a hold of a different spike, a, a different, different piece yeah. of the uh, the chair. And now your clean cut baby face, Magnum TA, is now going to kill Tully with this chair. And he starts screw driving this piece of this wooden chair into this, Tully's head. This spike, yes. And Tully screams, "Yes, <laughs> yes." He doesn't scream, I quit, though. No. It's a technicality here. He really, T.A. should have, he should have said, no, that's not good enough. You have to say, I quit. But And he dug that in, too, because when he starts digging it in, if you watch uh, Tully's face, Tully just starts pouring blood as he's digging it so in. Tully, so, yes, yeah, Tully, yes, quits. Uh, Magnum T.A. gets the win in 14 minutes, 43 seconds. Your brand new NWA United States heavyweight champion. Magnum TA. But he does have some mercy on Tully, and he does not continue the beating once Baby Doll enters the ring. So he does have some some bit of babyface credibility here, but, uh, you know, Patrick, John Cena would not <laughs> no. drive a piece of a chair into a man's skull, no, no matter what he did. So I thought that was kind of a... And I realize this is a, this is a blood feud. This is the blow-off to the thing. Yeah. So I can understand the frustration, but I still thought that for a babyface, I would have booked it to where Baby Doll basically cost. Tully the match. Yeah. Um, not cost him the match, but had T.A. beat him 
cleanly and then beat had, him to the point that she gives up for him just be well, like she hey just, she begs Tully and Tully does it and then that way Tully being a heel can then blame the loss on baby doll right and and then everybody looks great but this made you know wrestlers are really hesitant about tapping out now but I think saying I quit is way worse than tapping out oh yeah and uh, so I would have done this a bit differently still though uh, Which is why I think he said yes instead of I quit because then he could make that argument like I, I never said it. Yeah, yeah. Techn- technicality, my friend. I mean, we should go back and watch the uh, Saturday nights from from this time to to find out. But uh, what did you think of this match? Phenomenal. Like I said, w- one of the main reasons why I picked this this pay per view for us to go over is because I love this match. This is one of those that I just I'll sit down and watch over and over again. Because they, they beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, just for a brawling. If you love brawling, you'll really love this pay-per-view. This, Like I said, the in-ring quality, there's not a lot of uh, suplexes or power bombs or pile drivers. This is there's a, just a lot of brawling. Yeah, this is what CZW in California, this is basically their, their type of, of event. Right. So after that great match, it's time to come down a little bit as we oh, go back no. to the Omni. This is an awesome match. As the Midnight Express are out with Jim Cornette, they're all in their tuxedos. They look great. Yeah. But they're taking on Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively, along with Big Mama, who's yeah. their manager. This is an Atlanta street fight, despite never making it out to the street. Now, Patrick Young, Miss Atlanta Lively, she was hiding something from us. Uh, she wasn't quite a miss. In fact, she was who, Patrick? She was Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> Ronnie Garvin, former, yes. well... For, I, former world heavyweight champion. Had he been champion already? No, because this is not, not the yet. big gold belt. Not yet. Still to come, Ron Garvin... Still to come, Ronnie Garvin... Is cross-dressing yes. in 1985 as Miss Atlanta yes. Lively with Jimmy Valiant. The boogeyman, Jimmy Valiant. The boogie-woogie man, Jimmy Valiant, Yep. So here we go. Midnight Express huddle in the corner first to strategize, you know, how they're going to go about this match. I mean, this is an intergender match, so they're going to have to figure things out. Then they all start brawling. Miss Atlanta Lively sprays some shit in the eyes of Bobby Eaton. I don't know what she had, hairspray or something, I guess. Then Condry, Dennis Condry, is bleeding from a chair shot immediately. Yeah. The boogeyman locks Dennis in a sleeper. Big Mama is keeping Cornette distracted, so it's very... Tough to keep up with all everything going on at once here. Yeah, this this basically turned into an intergender six man tag. Tornado tag. Yeah. Because Big Mama was going after Cornette just like uh Ronnie Garvin and uh and Jimmy Valiant were going after the Rock and Roll Express. It was it was a it's a great match, I think. The Midnight Express get freedom powder and blind the boogeyman. The boogeyman is now bleeding. From powder. This is a very weird spot to be bleeding from, but that's what happened. Dennis whips Boogeyman and Garvin with his belt. Then they try to strip the clothes off Miss Atlanta Lively and expose her yes. as a man. Yes. It's a man, baby, as uh, Austin Powers would say. Bobby Eaton is now suddenly bleeding for some reason. Missed that. Cornette racket shots... Miss Atlanta Lively. Then Big Mama revives Boogeyman, Jimmy Valiant. Midnight Express double clothesline Jimmy Valiant. Bobby tries the Alabama Jam on Boogeyman. But Garvin, Miss Atlanta Lively, comes to life, uppercuts him as he's coming down off the top rope. And 
Believe it or not, Miss Atlanta Lively and the Boogie Woogie Man win the Atlanta Street Fight in 929 in what was chaos. Just a wild, a wild match all the way around. Very tough to keep up with. Now, do you know much about Jimmy Valiant? The Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy I know Valiant. he's still alive. He I is know. still alive, and he still wrestles. But I didn't know if you knew much about him or not. Okay. I love the Boogie Woogie Man. The, and when I knew that he was a part of this card, I mean, it was fantastic. This is probably one of the best cards I think we've ever gone, oh, gone over. Oh, boy, that is a stretch. But it's it's fine for what it is. Uh, this match was... Well, they needed more camera people. Uh, they needed this to be scripted out a little bit more. I thought that this was just a bit of a mess. This was like... Uh, this is like one of those battle royals where they just send everybody in there and they just... Everyone does their own thing and you can't keep up with anything. And then all of a sudden it's over. Uh, yeah. Everybody bleeds. Everybody... Everybody takes shots from something, a chair, a uh, freedom powder, a tennis racket, lots of uh, brawling. The the crowd is very, I know here, the crowd's very polite, though. When they do go into the crowd uh, in Atlanta for these matches, everyone just sits down, you know? No, yeah. one, no one gets up to go. And they give them lots of, like, the front row is still, like, 10 feet back from the guardrail. Right. So they have room to go do stuff. Yeah, and it's just a very polite crowd. Just very like. Well, this is '80s South now. Very, yeah. very southern. This is all before the damn Yankees had to ruin it for us. Instead of stripping Miss Atlanta Lively, unfortunately, we get Big Mama helping Miss Atlanta Lively strip Jim Cornette. Yes, but the Midnight Express help him escape before he's completely naked. So yes. they save us that. Ronnie Garvin here, though Miss Atlanta Lively, is bleeding profusely <laughs> she is bleeding worse he is bleeding worse than any other person in this mat or in this card so far we go back to greensboro magnum ta is backstage he says he he had to do what he had to do he says the feud is over he says anyone else can challenge for this u.s title but not tully what a jubilation it is down here because another major belt has changed hands here tonight at the gathering Starcade 85. The United States Heavyweight Championship now belongs to Magnum TA. My congratulations, Magnum. The belt's back where it belongs. Tully Blanchard, this should never have been in any kind of I quit match. That ain't wrestling. That's what it took to get back what was rightfully mine. But now things start all over again because now the United States Heavyweight Championship, the most prestigious belt in the world, bar none except the world's heavyweight championship is back where it belongs. Tully Blanchard, you and I have done it all over the country. We've wrestled with this thing many, many times. I'm not putting it up in any closet anywhere. Anybody, Nikita Koloff, Buddy Landell, anybody out there, Arn Anderson, this belt right here is a fighting champion's belt. I've had the taste of it before. I just went through the battle of my life. I think I left a little something on me in that ring. Maybe something I'll never get back again. But I can assure anybody out there, anybody at all that has any aspirations of taking this away from me, you better think twice. Because the United States Heavyweight Championship belt and Magnum TA are going to be together for a long, long time. Anybody out there that thinks they can do something about it, put your name on the dotted line, brother. I'm not a hard man to find. I'm Magnum TA, United States Heavyweight Champion. Wow, what an asshole this guy is. You would think that the baby face would also be open to a rematch. Well, yeah. That's that's the working man's championship right there. Right. That's the working man's title. That's what he says. The Koloffs will now battle 
the Rock and Roll Express. The steel cage is still set up, so why not just use that too? For the NWA World Tag Team Championship. The Kolovs are out along with Crusher Krusev. He's going to stay outside the cage and watch. Rock and Roll Express are out next. This is the Greensboro main event. As I said, very odd that this was over the Magnum TA match. One fall. This is not an I Quit match. This is just a regular tag match in a cage. Nikita is starting the match versus Ricky Morton. They brawl around before Gibson gets the tag. Nikita tags out too, so Ivan's in. Gibson lands a high drop kick followed by a scoop slam and a knee drop. Morton and Gibson exchange quick tags and keep Ivan in their corner, so like the Andersons, they cut off the ring. Gibson lands a second rope smash, then Ivan blades from being tossed into the cage, and here's another guy bleeding. Nikita is tagged in, and Bear Hug tosses Gibson face first into the cage. That's his chance to blade. Ivan tags in and goes after Gibson, then Nikita scoop slams Gibson and posts in the middle of the ring. Nikita Koloff has one of the best physiques uh, ever in pro wrestling. He holds Gibson so Ivan can come off the top rope with a punch. Ivan tries to straddle Gibson on the second rope but misses and runs his leg into the cage. Ivan scoop slams and hits a leg drop on Gibson for a two count. He tries again but he misses. Nikita is back in now and locks a headlock in on Gibson. Gibson just can't get the tag to Ricky Morton. And Ivan tags in to stop him again. Gibson forgets to kick out of a cover. And referee Patrick Young saves him by not counting the three because he forgot to kick out here. Yeah. So the Koloff should have retained. If uh, if you were in the ring, you would have I would have counted. counted it. They try to get USA chance going for Rock and Roll Express, but the crowd just wasn't into it. Gibson gets Ivan down, but the ref is out, so nobody can cover anybody. Nikita he hits Gibson from behind and rolls Ivan on him, but the ref is still down, so no one can make a count. Morton makes a tag, and, and Okada rolls Ivan up for a quick three. A finish out of nowhere. Yeah. New World Tag Team Champions, but the Russians get all their heat back when they beat the shit. Out of the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton manages to escape, but the Russians get to beat the shit out of Robert Gibson with Ivan's chain, so the Russians get all their heat back, despite losing the match. Very odd fashion. And the match ends in 12-22, so there you go. What'd you think of this match, Patrick? Uh, great match. Good tag match. Bit of a letdown. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you... When you have them in a steel cage, whether or not it was supposed to have been, whether or not it was supposed to have turned out, this you don't have them tagged, number one. Just do a tornado. There's already, It's already, I mean, it's, it should be no DQ. I mean, Crusher could have just gotten the ring, too. It's in a steel cage. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't go on the fly here. If they're walking out there and like, oh, shit, it's in a steel cage, while you're in the middle getting ready to start that match, you need to say, hey... Uh, let's just go with cage rules here, and we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. And so uh, I think that that kind of is what ruined. I don't want to say ruined the match, but it kind of took away from from the match. But it was still an, a, a magnificent, wonderful match. Great so, match. The remaining faces that are in the back of the Greensboro Coliseum run out to save Robert Gibson. So. That is and how. he catches one right across the face. If you go back and watch, he he catches it right across the bridge of his nose. And yeah, Robert Robert covers up pretty fast on it. In Greensboro, that is that is it for Greensboro tonight. Yeah, we're now, going back to the Omni in Atlanta. And now it's time for our main event of the evening: the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes taking on Ric Flair. You see what happened was. Dusty is out first. He's got the dry ice machine going. He has <laughs> his cool jacket on. He comes out. But then Ric Flair appears on the ramp, and Pyro goes off. 
And Flair is in the best shape of his life here. I love that that just still image of him standing there with the sirens going off behind oh, him. Oh yeah. Oh man, dude, that was that's a perfect just perfect look. His hands on his hip. Oh yeah. Like his, that was that was like that was superhero pose. That oh, was his, that was his robe is beautiful. Yeah. It's got tassels. Yeah, that was magnificent. And he he's such a heel. He needs a police. Es- he, before Goldberg was getting police escorts, yeah. he gets a police escort to the ring. I love the son of a plumber is introduced first to a huge baby face reaction. The champ Ric Flair gets introduced, who gets booed out of the building massively. He has his classic NWA title, which you got for Christmas a couple years ago, a replica belt. I did. I did. The old, not Big Goldie, but the... uh, The The, the original NWA. Right. World Heavyweight title. To start the match, Dusty is going to strut and dance to mock Ric Flair strutting. Flair just... Stares blankly at Dusty. He does not. He's not playing around. No, Flair's the Flair's here for for. He's for, taking this seriously. Yeah, it's 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 no. There's no messing around. He's all game. He's all business tonight. Flair chops Dusty in the corner. Dusty then lays in some bobbing and weaving boxing offense that he does. He likes to think that he's Muhammad Ali sometimes. Dusty Rhodes and bobbing and weaving and throwing punches. Flair acts like he's gonna leave the 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 match, which yeah. would have been a great finish to your main event, right? Your, right. Yeah. Flair just says, ah, I'm out of here. But then he, uh, he he walks back to the ring. Flair chops, then Dusty lands some bionic elbows. Flair bails outside again. Flair returns and locks in a rest hold. We get some more chops, a snapmare, and the signature knee to a down Dusty Rhodes head, which gets a cover for a one count. Flair kicks Dusty in his bad ankle. Uh-oh. He remembers that, uh... He broke this ankle. This makes Dusty bail outside and recover in the crowd because, man, that really hurt. I didn't think Flair would remember he broke my ankle. So he comes back to the ring, and he has to elbow his way back into the ring. Uh, He gets Flair's head over the ropes and gives elbows to the back of his head, like 12 to 6 elbows. Uh, Then he stomps Flair's leg and gets back in the ring. The crowd finally comes alive as Dusty as the crowd comes alive for Dusty as he works Flair's leg. He's gonna go after a body part now. Yeah. Dusty drops an elbow to Flair's leg. Flair gets out of it by poking Dusty in the eyes. Flair tries a suplex, but oh, that leg gives out. He can't do it. And Dusty Rhodes. I can't believe I'm saying this. Dusty Rhodes hits a vertical suplex on Ric Flair. I did not <laughs> think this man knew how to do a vertical suplex, but oh, he did it. Man. He lands a wrestling move. I was so proud of Dusty. Then Dusty goes back to work on the leg. Flair locks in a front face lock and then puts Dusty in the sleeper. Dusty, to get out of it, rams Flair's right leg into the ring post. They exchange chops, and then Dusty misses an elbow drop. Flair hobbles to the top rope, but surprise, it fails. As this move, anytime Flair went to the top rope, you knew it would not be he working He was not going to, yeah. So Dusty slams him off the top rope as every wrestler from then until when Ric Flair retired also did. Dusty decides he's going to put Flair in the figure four, but Flair kicks at Dusty's ankle. Flair chops him and tries a figure four of his own, but Dusty fights out of it. Dusty shoots Flair into the corner and Flair does his Flair flop right out of the ring onto the mats below. Dusty throws Flair's head into the turnbuckle and guardrail while they're outside. That causes Flair to blade. Dusty tries a top rope splash and it fails, but it still looks good because uh, 
they just kind of tumble over. It looked like the finish to that match earlier where yeah. it was uh, screwed up, but it still looked okay. The ref is slow to count, so Flair kicks out at two because he actually had him covered for like six seconds here. Yeah, six or seven, easy. Dusty does the turnbuckle punches, and Flair, after he gets the ten punches, does his signature flop where he stumbles forward and falls face first onto the mat. His signature bump. Dusty shoots him into the corner. We get another flare flop over the ropes. This time he runs to the turnbuckle and tries again and fails as Dusty cuts him off before he can deliver a chop off the top rope. Flair, though, as he gets cut off from this top rope chop, kicks uh, Dusty's ankle on the way down. So he does get some offense going. Flair goes back to work on Dusty's bad leg. He drops a knee on it. And Dusty really sells it with his facial expressions, and he's, like, crying to the ref. But not giving up, but just crying. Flair locks in the figure four in the center of the ring. Uh Uh-oh. Doesn't look good here. In fact, I'd say Dusty Rhodes looks trapped, my friends. Dusty nearly gets pinned when his shoulders go down in the mat a couple times. But Dusty reaches to the heavens. He points to the heaven, the heavens above, and tries to reverse the pressure. And... He does, but Flair gets to the ropes. Flair chops Dusty, who no-sells it now. Uh Uh-oh, Dusty's firing up. He's hulking up. Bionic elbows and a clothesline. Dusty covers, but gets thrown into the ref, who gets bumped by Flair right out of the ring. Yep. Dusty tries a figure four, but Flair fights out of it at first. But then Dusty locks it in. Uh Uh-oh, he's in his own finishing move. And then the Minnesota Wrecking Crew have shown up. Arn Anderson goes in and attacks Dusty. And then Ole Anderson shows up and attacks Dusty as well. But Dusty fights him off. A new ref comes out, and Dusty kicks out of a flare cover at two. So even with the distraction, Dusty kicks out. Dusty, then out of nowhere, Patrick, inside cradle to flare. One, two, three. The new ref counts the win. We got a new world champion in 2206, Dusty Rhodes. Wow. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. All the baby faces from the back come out. They lift Dusty on their shoulders. They do the whole celebration. Now, of course, Patrick, you just witnessed a dusty finish. A dusty finish. Because the rules, Patrick, Stu Schwartz was the replacement referee. For Tommy Young. Yes. Tommy Young was knocked down. Yes. Tommy Young later reversed this decision and awarded Rhodes a victory by DQ due to interference from Arn Anderson. Therefore, Flair remains world champion. This would not happen on this show. No. But this is the dusty finish in its truest form. A dusty finish where the baby you think the baby face has won yeah. and is later reversed and screwed out of it later on. So yeah. there you go. Shivani interviews Dusty, who thanks all the blue-collar workers out there. This was for you. Okay, everybody, we are back here, and congratulations, Dusty Rhodes. He is a new world heavyweight champion. This is a moment. This is a moment that is going to live in wrestling history. Congratulations. It was a long road back for this man, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and deservedly enjoying this moment. Billy Jack Haynes is here. Deservedly enjoying this moment. Dusty? We got it, Daddy. Let me tell you something. We got it. Way back. 
When Dusty Rose said this was for the textile workers, auto workers, car workers, all the blue-collar people across this country, this great land, the American dream came back from the bottom and is now world's heavyweight champion, and I'm going to be that way for a long time. My man, Chief, we here, daddy. Nobody can beat the people. Nobody can beat the world. And nobody can beat the American dream. champion is the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes and Bob. It was a night, like we said at the top of uh, Starcade 85, a night that wrestling fans will never forget. Tony and Bob talk about how great the night was, and they mention it's been 50 years of Jim Crockett promotion, so here's to 50 more. Then we get a highlight video, like a five-minute highlight video of every match in the yeah. card. And the finish and everything. So. And there you go. That is the end of Starcade 85. What did you think of the main event? Oh, great match. Yeah, it was a match. Uh, it was too... Uh, you didn't much care for it? I think it told the story that it needed to tell. Dusty, not a great wrestler, though. Uh, but like I said, most of this card was... And most of the wrestling of this era was not about technical wrestling or, you know, putting on five-star classics. I thought Flair did an amazing job in the match. I thought he looked great. I wish that the finish was more than just a roll-up because we just saw a roll-up with the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, we saw a roll-up in another match. Finishing moves, I mean, weren't really, I guess... You didn't really have one, per se, going into... The bionic elbow was just a move. It wasn't like... Right. Well, I mean, and you didn't... All I'm saying is you didn't really have a lot of people that hit finishing moves in 85, yeah. Like, that didn't really catch on until about 87. You had Hogan doing the leg drop, and that was just starting to catch on. And Savage doing the elbow drop. And then you had uh, Flair doing the figure four. But other than that, you really didn't have, per se, finishers. Since it was a dusty finish anyway, and it was going to be a reverse. Since, since it was just going to be taken away from him anyway, why have Flair lose to a finishing move anyway? But, uh, I mean, how can I knock a Dusty Rhodes-Rick Flair match? I mean, I, yeah. it, I mean, for what it was, it was great. I mean, they're, they worked, I mean, decade. I mean, these two when you, had a million matches. Yeah, when you think of rivalries in, in wrestling, you think of Kaufman and Lawler, you think of Sean and Brett... And you think of Dusty and Rick. I mean, that, that that's the three arguably biggest rivalries in, in, the, in professional wrestling. The more important thing, though, that this match did was help further the Four Horsemen storyline. Yes. And in January was the formation of the Four Horsemen, and no Dusty Rhodes, no Four Horsemen. So, yeah, that, so, that's the thing like with, you know, in 85 when you're talking about Piper. And I make this argument, and I'll make it till the day I die. No Roddy Piper, no WrestleMania. People's, oh, well, Vince came up with the idea. That's all well and good. Oh, but Hogan, Hogan's the reason people, no. People didn't show up to see Hogan. People showed up to watch Hogan kick Piper's ass for all the shit Piper was doing. So really, no Roddy Piper, no WrestleMania. And it's like you said, no Dusty, no Four Horsemen. So... Even because I mean Dusty is the perfect foil to Flair. Yeah. Because even if your second if your second biggest babyface is Magnum TA, he's still not he's more he's closer to Flair because he's still good looking. He's not the common man. He doesn't have without having Dusty there to be the babyface, 
there's no four horsemen. There's no yeah. until Sting shows up, you know, years right. later. So yeah, I thought overall, uh, this card for 1985, I thought was Bischoff. And anytime they talk about the Monday Night Wars or whatever, they always go to that clip of Bischoff saying, you know, when he started Nitro is. I just want to do everything different than what yeah. Vince is doing. Yeah. And that's what I get from here, even though he wasn't a part of this or anything. Yeah. But this is very, very real. Yeah. This is very different. This is not sports entertainment. This no. is... This is wrestling. This is... Yeah. The, well, it's... And it's brawling. It's yeah. like... It's like... There's a level of realism that they were going for here that... Uh, I hate this term. Any type of wrestling in the South... They love to call it wrestling. We're not wrestling. This is wrestling. This is full-blown, I'm going to tear you limb to limb, and I don't care how I do it. And as you saw in the Magnum TA. Totally I thought that, match. in my opinion, what, what the WWF was doing was more wrestling. You know? Right. More cartoonish stuff. Correct. Now, this is, yeah, this is a legit. This was straight up, I have a problem with you. I'm tired of your bullshit. I'm going to mess you up. Everybody's going to bleed. We're going to just punch each other. Yeah. Senseless. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to do I mean. We're not going to do many wrestling moves. Uh, I'm going to hit you with a cowbell. Uh, you're going to bleed profusely. I'm going to stab you. Yeah, I'm going to try to stab you in the middle of the ring in front of your wife. Yes. Uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, this is the first time I've I've seen this show. And uh, so I just thought it was very, very different. For what it was going for, I thought it accomplished what it what it set out it's to do. it's the oldest it's the oldest show that we've done so far you 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 don't do much older wrestling so th- i've seen th- wrestlemania one and two and three this is why i was a little bit skeptical about picking this one strictly because of that reason so in your honest opinion would you say what what would you say about this this show or or how it how it came across as wrestling in the in the mid-80s. Oh, I think this show is ten times better than WrestleMania 1. I think WrestleMania 1 and 2. I agree. I'm not going to say 3, though, because 3 has... No, you can't top 3. Well, 3 just has... One of the greatest matches of all time in Steamboat and Savage. You can't. And Hogan slamming Andre. Well, yeah. But, I mean. And 83,000 people. I was very impressed. Uh, it's just a, if they had done some, uh, the production values were a little bit better. If there was a little bit more, f- like, I wish that the crowd was lit a little bit. Yeah. Uh, not, not that I kind of, it was neat to have the dark, to have just the, the light on the ring or yeah. whatever. But I mean, the WWF at this time was still doing basically the same thing too. Uh, I just think with a little bit of production value, uh, I wish that the I wish that the wrestlers had a little bit more time to show their characters off because like Tully didn't get any promo time. We didn't have a Minnesota Wrecking Crew promo. We yeah. didn't have a Jim Cornette promo. Uh, we could have, like, I mean, we could have cut Superstar Billy Graham's arm wrestling thing and had given time for... I would have cut that whole match. Yeah, and then that would have given you time to do, uh, to do promos I and stuff. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I am. I would have cut Billy Graham and Barbarian, and I, I really hate saying this, but I would have also cut Terry Taylor and Buddy Landell. Absolutely. Other than those two... This is, without a doubt, probably the the perfect NWA card. Oh, it's... it's even, a, even with those two, it, I would say it It's a great representation of... Of NWA wrestling. Of that era. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, I think that I do like I do enjoy characters in wrestling, and I I think that if they had devoted a little, even man, even a flair promo would have been great here. Yeah. Like early, I mean, way before the main, like don't do it right before the main event. But I mean, Dusty got a promo at the end, which that naturally was a good spot for for the victory promo, the the working man overcoming the thing. But yeah. But at first, it would have been great to see Flair in a suit saying, you know, how... With the title. and Oh, yeah. and, and how he's taking this seriously, and he's yeah. not messing around, and he's the champ. and So yeah. it, it just, it's missing a few key elements that I think would have made it ten times better. And this, and, and this is something that plagued WCW and JCP and, and all that. This is why Vince, I think, ended up pulling ahead, is because the focus on, the char- on character building. Mm-hmm. And also, he stole a lot of the talent from... Yes. I mean, a lot of these guys would end up going up there. Yeah. Um, so... You can't have an NWA when you lose the likes of Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair to your competition. Right. But... And, and those are your two best developed characters. Right. Um, well, I mean, you lost Arn and Tully, too. Right. You lost... When you go through this, what I'm saying Barbarian, is... Barbarian. Sam, Sam Houston... Houston. Ron Bass. Crusher Khrushchev. <laughs> Everybody. Ron Bass. Billy Graham went back. Barbarian went up there. Terry Taylor went up there. Oli, or Oli didn't, but Arn Anderson. Billy Jack Haynes. Wahoo. Wahoo. Wahoo didn't go up there, did he? It was much later on, I think. Yeah, Tully. Jimmy Valiant went up there. I mean, you just, over half the card went 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 north, and which sucks. But I mean, you know, money talks. That's it. And and Bullshit at watch. this point in time, Vince was Vince was making making noise at well, at the fact that you know we, we being in New York, you're going to make a lot more money. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if they had uh, if Jim Crockett and even when Turner bought the company, if they had focused more on character building, I think that I mean it eventually got to where they were on even ground. You yeah. know, much 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 later, but uh, I think it would have been closer uh, for a while. So outside of that, I think the card's fine. Um, just don't expect great wrestling, and I I didn't. This going, isn't gonna. Yeah, this is not going to be Steamboat Savage. Oh yeah, yeah. And this is this is you you have you have those types of matches with the fuck up finishes. This is the blow off of those matches. This is the culmination of every single feud in regards to this, the build of this pay per view. So when you have that blow off, when you have that in old style rivalries, kids, when you have that blow off and you have that that culmination of this feud, you can't go out there and have a five star match. You got to go out there and you, I'm gonna pardon my French. I'm gonna fuck you up. Like there's no ifs ands or buts about it and so yeah this is not a five star classic this is not a you know this is not we're going to talk about years to come as the greatest in-ring match comp you know competition this is this is more violence and gruesome than most people are used to would you say oh yeah i mean that's why it's rated tvma patrick i mean set your parental controls now (laughs) So, Patrick, on our rating scale from Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank Starcade 85, The Gathering of the Stars? Uh, I'm going to have to give this one 
man, this is hard. This is really hard. I want to give it a perfect score, but I just can't. So I'm going to have to give it. He's thinking about retiring, but he hasn't said anything yet. So I'm going to give it a uh, Paul White, a big show. Wow. A.K.A. Giant. What year of big show? Because, I mean, he, he changes in height, seems you know, from year to year. So we're going we're going back to WCW oh, giant. Wow. We're we're going Tallest. seven foot five, <laughs> you know. A million pounds. Yeah. Of course. I will give this in his honor an outlaw Ron Bass. A Great. six foot four man. Yes. Well, with his cowboy hat on, he was probably seven feet. So there you go. Yes, Starcade 85. Check it out. Recommend it. All right. So this was my pick, and I took you into uncharted waters for yourself. Now, right. where, where are we going next week? This well, is your pick. So, Well, this will be my final pick before WrestleMania I know. coming up. So naturally, we have to go back to the origin of this 13-year-long feud. Between Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, we will review their match and the rest of the card at WrestleMania 20. Oh, wow. Okay. From March 2004. 13 years in the making, Patrick. We will get to finally see the payoff, the conclusion to what one reviewer gave zero stars to, the original <laughs> meeting between Brock Lesnar and Goldberg. The Let's just be happy Austin was a part of that match. Yeah, the one match where the special guest referee was the biggest star and the biggest winner of the match. Yeah. Uh, Also, a main event featuring Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Steven Richards as the... Steven Richards. Well, because it's Chris Benoit. Oh, yeah. He's been erased from history. So, of course, this is Steven Richards' big title win at WrestleMania 20. So, that's... That's the that's the meme on the internet is anytime oh, really? you just replace any Chris Stephen Richards won the 2004 Royal Rumble. Stephen Richards won this main event. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I see. I did not know this. I yeah, didn't have so the background behind it. So that. Well, you also have a return, a much publicized return, the Dead Man. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> this is this is from the grand finale of Biker Taker. Is, this uh, the this is this is the return of the the actual dead man. This is the return of the Undertaker. So there you go, WrestleMania uh, twenty. As we approach WrestleMania thirty something, where are we at now? We're going to thirty three in two weeks. Thirty three. So yes, th- yeah, thirteen years ago. I can't do math. It's okay. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> Minter and Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. Bingo, bingo. After a series of staggering defeats, Blue Oyster Cult assembled in the recording studio in late 1976 for a session with famed producer Bruce Dickinson. And luckily for us, the cameras were rolling. All right, guys, I, I think we're ready to lay this first track down. By the way, my name is Bruce Dickinson. Yes, the Bruce Dickinson. And I gotta tell you, fellas, you have got what appears to be a dynamite sound. Coming from you, Bruce, that means a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're Bruce Dickinson. This is incredible. I can't believe Bruce Dickinson digs our sound. Easy, guys. I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, I make gold records. (laughs) All right, here we go. 
Fear, don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll it. All right. One, two, three, four. Come in here for a second, please. That that was going to be a great track, guys. What's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas. It was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. <laughs> so let's take it again. And Gene, yeah, really explore the studio space this time. You got it, Bruce. I mean, really. Yeah. Explore the space. Okay. I like what I'm hearing. Roll it. One, two, three, four. I'm sorry, could you come back in there, please? Fellas, no, we, we just wasted two good tracks. This last one was even better than the first. Well, it's just that I find Gene's cowbell playing distracted. I don't know, if I'm the only one, I'll shut up. No, it's pretty rough. You know, I can pull it back a little if you like. Not too much, though. I'm telling you, fellas, you're gonna want that cowbell on the track. You know what? It, it's fine. Let's just do the thing. Okay, roll it. One, two, three, four. doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. Don't blow this for us, Gene! Could be, could be so selfish, Gene. Can I just say one thing? Say it, baby, just say it. I'm staring here, staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. I'm a cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say it, baby. And Bobby, you are right, I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. And I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Thank you, Bruce. I think if... If I, if I just leave and uh, maybe I'll come back later and we can lay down the cowbell. Come on, baby. Gene, wait. Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now with us together? <laughs> Do you mean that, Eric? 
speaks for all of us. Thank you. Babies, before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold-plated diapers. What does that mean? Never question Bruce Dickinson. Roll it. One, two, three, four.